A new United Nations report warns the impacts of climate change are increasing and inevitable. Experts say that we have until 2030 to avoid catastrophe. Temperatures in the Arctic have warmed about two to three times the global average. It will be very difficult, not impossible, for our children to control climate change. This is South of Two Degrees, and I am your host, Brian Barnes. It is so good to have you with us today on the only podcast dedicated to bringing unfiltered scientific research to the forefront of the climate conversation. Today wraps up season three, and while we won't be diving into any specific papers today, we will take a look at where the climate conversation and this show have been over the last three years and where they're headed. So my friends, once more, into the fray. Welcome back to the show as this marks the last episode of season three. Don't worry, don't worry. We'll be back in the fall or spring for those of you down south with a fourth season and it's looking really good already. A quick shout out to some listeners in Podkini, Slovakia, Siong, South Korea, Kolkata, India, and Duncan, Oklahoma. Thanks for listening and broadening the climate conversation. We all, as in every listener to this podcast, appreciate you. As we wrap up, though, I thought it was worth reflecting a bit on where we've been and what the near future looks like. When we started this endeavor, no one outside of our community knew us, and we started with the simple notion that climate and environmental researchers are often underappreciated for their tireless work they do, and moreover, their critical findings are being left behind the paywall of expensive journals. Further, even for those that can afford the cover price just to gain access to the information, they are written in a way that makes them effectively useless outside the scientific community. That is, in part, due to the system we have created. You see, we've developed an educational system that to be successful in, traditionally speaking, is to attain tenure. To attain tenure, you are most often required to publish. The papers you publish must conform to certain standards and formats that relegate them to only being truly understood by other academics. This creates an insular society where communication amongst your peers earns you job security and renown. There's often no requirement that your work be used or communicated outside of the research community. Sure, you may teach a little, but that is often not the crux, and those that you do teach most likely want to be part of the same community. It's a complex process of preaching to the choir. But look, in the words of LeVar Burton, you don't have to take my word for it. Here's Dr. Sylvia Earle discussing it just last year on the show. Well, here's the thing. Not only have scientists generally not been given communications training, we've been trained not to communicate. <laughs> the culture in science was, and still to a large extent is, that if you cross the line and communicate with the general public, you become a popularizer and you cannot thereafter be taken seriously. Carl Sagan was not admitted to the Academy of Science. Why? Because he dared get involved with the Cosmos series, television series. He became a you know popular science communicator. Bob Ballard similarly got really scathingly uh, treated by his peers because you know he he went out there and did films and and wrote books and things 
for the public. And after the Titanic was a real, that was in the 1980s for heaven's sake. So it, it's still there that to be a true blue ivory tower scientist, that's the epitome. You don't speak to the press. You don't talk in schools. You don't use simple words. You, you know, it's tragic because it's part of what has kept scientists away from what, what public generally doesn't trust science because they need themselves to be basically a iconoclast. They're just, you know, they're out there somewhere. Now, to be fair, there were a small handful of journalists that did their best, some brilliantly, to convey this knowledge to the masses. One or two scientists did this as well, but it risked their careers and more often brought about undue pain on them and their families to do so. These courageous folks, along with one notable politician, were few and far between. And to make matters worse, when information did break out of its academic confines to the broader public, most articles rarely, if ever, cited or linked the actual research they summarized. Now, this made what little information that got out difficult to verify and very easy to manipulate. Look, I know this sounds like a rant, but let me put it this way and hopefully convey the importance of the issue and why it's worth talking about. Imagine you're a plumber held to the same standards. And to my academic colleagues, no, I'm not comparing your work to plumbing, nor am I berating plumbers. I'm merely making a point here. Now, what would that look like? Effectively, it would mean that plumbers write about breakthroughs in plumbing, but would write using lingo few outside of that community understand. They would discuss best practices with colleagues, gain renown for new ways to better understand old plumbing problems, and would occasionally teach those that want to become part of this community the brilliant insights to make a better world. But what about those that live outside this exclusive plumbing community? What about the ones that desperately want to put these best practices to use in the real world? Well, they would be left with translating the complex findings such that your average person could deal with the sewage and plumbing problems we face and likely arguing amongst themselves as to who has the best system based on fragments of vaguely interpreted information. Sounds delightful, right? The earth, my friends has a plumbing problem, and for the love, please don't quote me on this. It is covered in refuse, its symbiotic systems are breaking, and the pH of its water is changing, and as a result, new problems only continue to arise while old ones keep compounding in complex ways. Communities are desperate for change, yet very few politicians get elected with a campaign promise of, I'm a plumber, and I want to fix the plumbing problem we face. Instead, the population often says, eh, as long as I can't see it, it's no big deal. I'll vote in people that talk about things that affect me now and leave the plumbing problem to the generation where it all collapses, effectively wading through the left by prior generations. That was the state of climate research when I started south of two degrees and enlisted a small volunteer group of dedicated people to help. We had no desire to make money, nor any desire to have our names remembered. We wanted nothing to do with social media stardom, and if I'm being honest, despised those influencers that co-opt the conversation simply to make a name for themselves. Honestly, posting a getting dressed together video peppered with product placements and a voiceover discussing the horrors of climate migration is just gross. And doesn't help in the slightest. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, 
thank your lucky stars you've been spared from the obnoxious practice designed solely for likes. Rather, at south of two degrees, we simply wanted to fix a problem and until it changed, bridge the glaring gap we saw. Our ultimate goal? Make what we do unnecessary. So years were spent looking at the issue without a public face, a research of our own. But not because we wanted to fall into the same research world trap. Rather, we wanted to get it right. We developed a way to bridge the communication breakthroughs that were happening in the social sciences and apply them to the natural sciences. I won't detail out those as you can find them across several prior episodes. Yes, research had been done, much of it which we have cited on this show, but it wasn't being practiced. So we launched this show. To be clear, we are not field or lab researchers. We do not develop breakthrough science at south of two degrees. We are simply researchers of research, translators of a rare language and implementers of its insights. You could call us communicators, but I like to think of us as simple scientific preachers. We take the text that's brilliantly written by others and bring it to the masses to help them better understand how that information can make for a better world and a better life. Since the public launch of the show three years ago, the world has changed. While the team and I take absolutely no singular credit for what has happened, we are proud to have been part of the fight alongside so many others around the world. Most reputable news outlets now cite research directly when referencing it. Research grants are now coming more often with a communication requirement, and the paywall around journal articles are starting to crumble. In fact, news just broke that the EU is close to making open access the default of research. And before I get hammered on this, yes, I understand this needs to be done thoughtfully to protect academic integrity and avoid paper mills or AI-generated articles. However, I still hold that it should be free. Here in the U.S., a friend who is a leading expert in quantum computing put it this way. Under the current system, tax dollars go to the government for research grants. Those grants then go to researchers that have their findings put in journals. Yet to access that information, you have to buy an astronomical subscription. So in effect, American citizens pay twice and are left with a paper few can understand. Sound absurd? I think so. And that's why we cover the cost for all this out of our own pockets. Don't subject you to ads or requests for donations and put it all out there for free, asking only the same three things at the end of every show in return. The funny bit is we get hammered on it all the time. All the time. We get told people expect to pay for content, so we should charge. Or you're an idiot not to try and monetize this. I even had a scientist at NASA when I spoke there in front of nearly 200 people on how to communicate the research ask me, how is that even sustainable? That's a terrible business model. My answer to all that, that's my burden to bear. It shouldn't be yours. It is my penance for not living the best, most environmentally friendly life possible. This podcast is and will always continue to be free. Every one of our listeners in the nearly 100 countries across the world that get information on climate science, biodiversity loss, and ecosystem research here deserve to have equal access to this information. Addressing the climate crisis is too important 
and climate justice is at our core. Now, if that's where we've been, where are we going? And I'm not talking about the show, as I'll touch on that in a second. I'm speaking on where are we, or maybe better put, where do we need to go? So let's start with continuing to normalize the climate conversation. We know from research that just discussing climate change is the most effective way to drive action. That's the reason I and our guests ask you to do it at the end of each show. I mean, if you remember just last episode, Dr. Heidi Sylvester and I discussed this, and here was her take. To me, science has no impact if it is not communicated. I mean, I'm going to be very blunt about this. Um, when I started my career in academia, and I genuinely thought my science would speak for itself. <laughs> and I know it sounds really naive now when I, when I think about this, but I thought that my publications would be enough. Genuinely, I thought that reports would be enough. And we can see today that it doesn't have the impact that it deserves, that we really need to go beyond these publications, beyond these reports. And, you know, I just have to speak to my parents or to my friends to see if they have read my paper from 2018. And of course they haven't, because it's unreadable if you're not a scientist. And, or if you, even if you're not a glaciologist, it's very, very hard to read. And to me, you know, we're in such a dire situation today that it is kind of my, my biggest challenge today to communicate science as, as much as I can. Because, I mean, we can see that when people fully understand the scale of the challenge, when it really clicks in their heads and, and, and when they understand that they have a role to play in this, I mean, the first question people ask is, what can I do about this? Because, I mean, now that I understand the problem, I want to do something about this. And so science has to be kind of the foundation to climate action. We need to make our science as accessible as we can to the civil society, to the companies, to the stakeholders, the decision makers. And this is the only way we will make sure that people make the right decisions. Further, academic institutions need to change. We need to see communication courses being made a required part of any science degree. In the age of digital information, the need to make sure ideas are disseminated in an accurate and understandable way is paramount. The best part is, most universities already have experts in the social sciences just across the quad. All it would take is a simple requirement change made by the chancellor or dean. Sure. I dream of a day when we can have nuanced science-specific communication courses taught around the world at esteemed institutions, but I'm okay starting small and using the resources we have right now and already in place as they would make a massive difference. Politically, well, each and every one of you know what is needed here. We need collective action and we need to have our respective governments cowboy up, as we say in Oklahoma, put on their big kid pants and do what needs to be done as our actions are all woefully off from where we need to be to avoid 2 degrees C. Sorry folks, 1.5 will already be surpassed temporarily in the next few years, and unless we get serious, is likely to be a foregone conclusion. I can hear some of you yelling, what about individual action, Brian? We need to talk about that. And I agree. We should all agree to do better 
and live better lives, each within their own bounds that works for them. No, it won't move the proverbial needle like collective action would, but it does make a difference. Remember the idea of plastic pollution being the fault of the consumer and climate change being fixed simply by the individual is a well-documented creation of the very entities we need to rein in. That said, there is one action that is desperately needed beyond all others and will make a huge difference. No, I'm not going to say talking about it. think I've hammered on that enough for today at least. No, the one change we can all make that will accelerate action like nothing else is to stop arguing with people who ultimately want the same thing as us and realize that while we all have our preferred paths to get there, we ultimately still want to end up at the same place. The vitriol and hate needs to stop. I just heard one of the leading climatologists talking the other day on another podcast about how they had to move and request security from the university because of the trolls and anger they faced on the daily. It's a sad state. It really is. I just sat down with a young neuroscientist that's working to bridge the way we think and environmental health. An incredibly noble cause. Yet she regaled me with story after story of the misogyny and trolls she faces in just trying to advance science and understanding. So what can we do? Call it out when you see it. Stand by and up for colleagues and friends and show some humility. Default to help instead of defaulting to anger. We can all do better here. Even me. Even me. So what about the show? Where is it going? Well, We hope to continually improve. The next few months aren't time off as much as I'd like them to be. Rather, while you won't hear from me unless you attend a speech I'm giving, know the team and I will be researching some really cool stories and putting together some really fascinating interviews for you. We're even planning on another mini-series like we did in the first season dedicated to a singular thread I think will absolutely blow your mind. Further, I just spent several hours with a dear friend and former director at the National Academies of Science, Dr. Toby Warden, to discuss some of the latest breakthroughs on the social side of climate communication. I'm going to be digging into this more, but what I will say is that according to cutting-edge communication research, everyone has it wrong, to a greater or lesser degree. Yes, even me. To be clear, all of the information we've developed inside over the years doesn't need to be scrapped. It's still bang on. But what new research shows and what we failed to communicate is the exact way to motivate folks towards action. It's not hope. It's not fear. It's a new tact that has proven significantly effective and we'll discuss it a little more next season. Oh, I should also address several emails I've gotten all on the same thing. And to summarize, I've been hammered on the fact that while we were some of the first folks discussing the coming of El Nino last year and alluded to doing a show on it at the beginning of the season, we still haven't done it. Why? Well, my friends, that actually has an interesting backstory to it. We followed the brilliant scientists at NOAA that monitor the ENSO or El Nino Southern Oscillation and as it became more and more apparent from their work that it would develop throughout the summer months, more concern within the scientific community started to develop about the intensity of it. This has only continued to grow with some scientists predicting the impact of El Nino this cycle could push global temps above 1.5 degrees temporarily. This made us pause. 
we could either continue and push forward with a show that had more speculation than we'd prefer to convey on this show, or we could wait, watch how it develops over the next few months, talk to the scientists that are on the front line studying it, and then put together a show that deals much more with observations and scientific fact. In the end, we decided on the latter. So, yes, I apologize for not coming through with a topic I know there is great interest in, but please know it was for good reason and a great episode is coming. The last part I'll mention about the show is that we are flexible and want to provide you with the best information possible on the climate crisis. If you want more papers broken down, let us know. If you'd rather lean towards some highly curated interviews with those on the forefront of climate research or heads of state, just reach out. We love hearing from you. Just email us at podcast at southof2degrees.org. That's with the numeral two, not spelled out. And if you don't want to email and happen to catch me out somewhere, feel free to give me your opinion as well. This show is for you, so you should have a say. Finally, I want to give you a global perspective quickly of stories you will likely hear elsewhere this summer. Heat is the theme du jour for sure. This summer will be hot and potentially break records, but let's remember that the world is a complex system and we aren't doing anyone any good if we go back to looking at things linearly. There are already indications that 2023 will be the hottest on record, but you can't just blame El Nino. While climate change is the underlying driver, there are exacerbating forces that are really fascinating. For one... While volcanoes usually work to cool the climate, the Tonga volcano sent massive amounts of water vapor into the atmosphere. As longtime listeners will remember from our Climate Change 101 episodes, water vapor is a greenhouse gas and actually one of the most abundant. As a result of the underwater explosion that sent 50 million tons of water rocketing into the stratosphere, we're likely to see a warming impact over the next several years. Also, and extremely interestingly, in fixing another problem, we're going to also see a warming effect. Huh? You're saying? All right, so here it is. In 2020, the International Maritime Organization, or IMO, put in heavy and much-needed restrictions on high sulfur fuels, limiting the sulfur content. This 86% reduction in sulfur content has resulted in significant aerosol drops across the globe thanks to our hyperconnected planet and economies. Now, aerosols produce a cooling effect on the planet, and according to research out of Oxford and published in Nature last year, we will see an uptick in global warming as a result of cleaning up this pollution. I will add here that this is a highly contested point that needs more research as there is some evidence the opposite is actually true. So we'll have to wait and see, but it's worth paying attention to. A third event that you may not hear much about in the West is the reduction in dust clouds off of Africa into the Atlantic. And for those of you that are saying, hey, what right now? Let me explain. In the past several weeks, sea surface temperatures, or SSTs, in the Atlantic have soared, initially befuddling scientists. And when I say warming, I mean water stretching nearly one-third of the way across the Atlantic is four degrees C above normal. One possible explanation is we have seen a shift in what is known as the Azores High. No, that's not a John Denver song. Rather, a regular high-pressure system that sits just off the coast of Africa. 
Now, this high serves to scatter dust from the Sahara all over the Atlantic, but recently that high has moved to the southwest. Without the dust scattering solar radiation, more of it can hit the ocean surface, thus warming it. On top of all that, sea ice minimums are breaking records, ocean circulation is slowing, and too few plans are in place to protect the elderly, young, and most vulnerable when inevitable heat waves hit. Please note, this is not me trying to use a fear narrative to vault you into action. Rather, I'm just stating the facts. Now, can we control for volcanoes and dust clouds? No, we can't. However, we should use this as a reminder as to why we need to be even more aggressive than ever in our actions as these unpredictable and exacerbating events have and will continue to happen. If we are prepared, it's absolutely manageable. But if we don't, then we are suddenly in a spot that allows those in power to throw up their hands and say, hey, can't do anything about this. On the positive side of things, I want to give you all some homework for the offseason. You see, every one of you is an environmentalist. While you may not recognize it, each and every one of you, I'm sure, has taken some action that was in a way costly to you, but benefited others and the planet. Doesn't matter if you just picked up wrappers on your walk with your dog, started recycling, grew pollinator gardens, or simply stopped pre-rinsing your dishes before sticking them into a dishwasher. You've done something that has helped, and no matter how small, I want to recognize it and say thank you. We can all do more, and it's even easier when we see the benefit of our governments taking up the mantle from its people and doing their part, but you need to know I appreciate whatever action you have taken. As for the homework bit, well, I want you to go somewhere. Everyone, everyone has a special spot that means the world to them. Be it a quiet spot in an old forest, a vibrant stretch of beach, a cool campground by the lake, or even the shade of a tree near where you live. Go there in the next few months. Take it all in. Close your eyes. Focus on your memory there and ask yourself if you want someone else to experience the feeling you have for this place. If yes, then take a deep breath, center yourself, and be ready this fall to go once more into the fray. And that wraps up another episode and season three of South of Two Degrees. I hope the science policy insights and interviews we've brought you have been worthwhile in your own work and lives. Enjoy the summer or winter with family and friends, and I look forward to hearing from you and chatting more in season four. Now, aside from checking out the latest information on the website, blog, meta, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram, do this for me. Tell one other person about this show in the next week. Have at least one conversation about climate change with someone else. And above all, keep it south. Keep it south. Keep it south of two degrees.